This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is 790 Astroline, presented by Carbock Brewing Company. Astroline. The official off-season show of your Houston Astros. Correa, hero. Let's talk Astros baseball. Call 713-212-5790. That's 713-212-5790. It's the wall and it's gone. George Springer goes yard. Live from Pluckers Wing Bar on Shepherd. This is 790 Astro Line. We are live at Pluckers Wing Bar. Big house here tonight. Downtown Houston on 1400 Shepherd Drive. Glad to be here with everybody. We've got a special guest here tonight. He's still in transit. Should be here in five or ten minutes. This is Steve Sparks. You're listening to Asherline. Asherline is brought to you by Carbot Brewing Company. Couldn't be more happy to be sponsored by Carbot Brewing Company. And my guest tonight is going to be Phil Garner, of course, the legendary manager for the Houston Astros. But for right now, Phil still on his way here. To be honest with you, I gave him the wrong address to the other Pluckers Wing Bar over there by Memorial City. So Steve Sparks is in fault, yeah. As a matter of fact, no, that was Matt Boltz, our producer engineer, that gave him the wrong address. I just took uh, credit for that. We have Lauren Blackwell with us here today, uh, who is head of the baseball entertainment with the Astros. And, and Lauren, I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, some of the stuff going on with the Astros. Uh, first of all, thank you for filling in for Phil for just a few minutes. I appreciate it. Of course. Anytime I get to hang out with you, it's a good day. <laughs> that's, that's a good day. <laughs> Well, uh, the Astros have a lot of things going on. I know you're going to go to spring training, and it's February 1st now, just about three weeks now, where, where you start getting some of the interviews that you show on uh, the big screen at, at Minute Maid Park and a lot of the interviews and things like that. But tell the folks what, what, what your job entails with some of that. Yeah, so my department will head out to spring training around the 22nd, 23rd. Um, and while we're there, we gather all of the content with the guys, with the coaches, everything that you'll see and hear on the video board, which yeah. we call internally El Grande. Um, <laughs> we will, you know, get the guys in front of a green screen, learn if they like chocolate or vanilla, french fries or tater tots, things like that. Um, What's the craziest question you've ever asked a guy that they kind oh. of balked at and you just couldn't even get anything from them? Oh, I don't know. There's been so many crazy off-the-wall conversations. I, I can't think of anything right off the top of my head right now. How many um, times do you ask a guy a question and he gives you nothing? Because you know, obviously you edit it and you kind of discard it, but how many times do you get nothing? We'll usually be able to pry and get a little something. You know, the guys yeah. are really great. Um, sure. This group of guys really like to joke around, and yeah. um, sometimes they'll look at you and be like, really, you're asking me that? But, um, no, it's all in good fun. Um, but, yeah, so we gather all of that content that you'll see throughout the season in-game. Um, so it's really, really fun. And then we'll get some of those in-depth interviews with AJ, 
Um, Peter Gammons was there last last really? season, so we got to sit down with him and pick his brain. Nice. Um, so there's baseball knowledge and then really fun stuff that we capture. There's another guy that's going to be at spring training this year, and that's going to be Phil Garner, who used to obviously be the manager for the Astros. He's going to be our guest later on in this, but he's going to be in spring training this year. We're going to talk to him about his involvement with the Astros and his relationship with the Astros' current manager, A.J. Hinch. That should be a lot of fun. I think I think tying in some of the past to the present, especially with the team mm-hmm. that's kind of up and coming with the Astros right now, is a lot of fun. And especially with Beltran back. I mean, he, yeah. he can bring some of that knowledge from Gardner was his manager. At, exactly. So yeah. it, it'll be fun um, this season to kind of see that dynamic and, and all of those guys working together. What do we got with uh, spring training tickets? Yeah, so spring training tickets are available right now. And, of course, it's the inaugural season uh, in the new ballpark of the Palm Beaches in West Palm Beach, which I don't know about you. I'm super excited. Oh, yeah. Um, to A lot head of beaches. Out. Yeah, and the, the new facility is beautiful. There's going to be many fan-friendly and state-of-the-art amenities. Um, and, yeah, so those tickets are available. Head to Astros. Or I'm sorry, ballpark of the Palm Beaches.com. You can also check out Astros.com for sure. all of your ticket information as well. But um, ballpark of the Palm Beaches.com for those spring training tickets. I want to bring in Danny Ferris, who's the social media coordinator for the Astros. And Danny, a lot of things going on. Tell the people how they can get to uh, ask some of the questions as Phil Garner comes in. Uh, uh, Lauren, thank you so much of for course. filling in while Phil gets here. Thanks, Sparky. Uh, Danny, uh, tell the people how they can uh, get some questions in via Twitter uh, for Phil later on in the show. Absolutely. If you have uh, questions for Phil Garner or Steve Sparks himself, be sure to tweet at Astros. Use the hashtag AstroLine, and we'll get those over to him. All right. Thank you very much. Uh, we want to take a break right now. We're going to take a break right now. We're going to come back with Phil Garner. We'll extend the second segment so we can get uh, – some of those Phil Garner stories that he's known for, that Yosemite Sam flavor that uh, we'll get to uh, just a little bit. You're listening to Asherline. We're at Plucker's Wing Bar, 1400 North Shepherd, brought to you by Carbock Brewing Company. Right back, right after this. Welcome back to Asherline. We're at Plucker's Wing Bar, brought to you by Carbock Brewing Company. Our guest tonight is Phil Garner, who is late. Nice job with your map quest. You don't have ways. What's going on with your uh, What's going on with your direction? Well, apparently there's a couple of pluckers in in, uh, in Houston, and you don't have the correct address of no. the one you're in right here. I apologize. How did you get here tonight, by the way? <laughs> I knew where who it was. brought you? Were you? Oh, the Astros provide the limousine, right? That's is that right. That's the way yeah. it goes. That's how they I know get me Jamie Hildreth. I know Jamie Hildreth, and I know you're not getting the limousine. Well, obviously we're here with Phil Garner. Thank you very much for joining us tonight and gar will have a an extra long second segment uh well, tonight. no, we won't, because I'm going to be leaving here. In a few. I'm going to go over and have some beers with a couple of guys over here. <laughs> well, that's great, man. Uh, it's always great seeing you, and it's cool that uh, you're going to be involved a little bit with the Astros going forward. We'll talk about that a little bit later on, but it's cool to uh, see you a couple of weeks ago when Jeff Bagwell was honored at Union Station. Uh, I want to play you this clip that uh, Jeff had to say about you over there. I'm going to talk about Gar first. It's the only manager I've ever yelled at in my entire life. And I think if you will remember this, this was in Cincinnati. I didn't play one day, and then the next day I was not in the lineup. So Gar, you know, he's sitting there with a cigar, and, and I come storming in his office, and I called him every single name that you can even think about. And I'm pretty good at that kind of stuff. And he just sat there and sat there and listened to my stuff, and then he pinch ran me in like the seventh and I ended up scoring and he's looking at me as I'm coming back and I'm looking at him and I said a few more words to him but just a tremendous manager and we you know 
we had we had some fun together. Uh, I think both of us respected baseball, respected the game. Hey, Gar, you had uh, Bagwell for his last couple of years, but you were also involved. You were a coach on Art House staff uh, when he first came up, 1991. And what were your first impressions of Jeff Bagwell when you saw him? Obviously, the hit tool was there. Well, I, I, I got to see him play his first major league game. I got to see him play his last one yeah. and a whole bunch of them in between. And um, they were all enjoyable. I, there's not too many times that you would want to take Jeff Bagwell out of the, uh, the lineup. But I learned that trick from Chuck Tanner. Uh, and and he did it to me, you know. Even all the famers have a bad week every now and then, yeah. and so they need a they need a day off. And and Chuck would always give you two because that first day they kind of expect it, the second day they don't expect it, and that makes them mad. And so now they're so mad at you they forget that they're having a bad week, and they go out and they just pound the ball. That's what Jeff did. So it worked. It worked for Jeff. I, it didn't work as good for me as it did for Jeff. How many times Chuck did you try that? How many times did you try did, that as a manager? I did that a few times. So and you so, skipped me for an entire month and a half. Was that uh, what you're you trying were to do? Pretty bad. Yeah. It, it never... <laughs> All right. We got Danny Ferris, Ferris our uh, social media coordinator. He had a question via Twitter. What, what do you got, Danny? Yeah, can you tell me any embarrassing stories of Sparks when you manage them in Milwaukee or Detroit? I well, don't think, I don't think well, you have any. Well, there's not. Man, I, th- I can think of one just off my <laughs> hand. You know, when we uh, when you go into spring training, you 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 know you, you're everybody's excited because you're going to get ready for the year. You, you come up with all these crazy ideas and, and ways to try to motivate the players. And this was a corroboration between Sal Bando, my boss, uh, in those days. Uh, in spring training in Arizona, there was this these group of guys. They were muscle heads. I don't know, you know, real strong weightlifter, brutal kind of brute kind of guys. Yeah. And they were a religious based um, pizza group strength. that that yeah, feats of strength. They'd go and they'd bend steel bars over their nose, and they do all kinds of things, you know. And it Blow was motivational. Oh yeah, it was motivational, and they were they were really good. So good, as a matter of fact, that in part, in the, in the, at the end of their act, one of them got on the stage, and they're, everybody's cheering for him. He's got the Phoenix phone book, which literally is about six inches thick, and he's taking the phone book, and he's going to rip it in half. And so he's got the players cheering. We're all cheering and going out, and he rips it in half. And, boy, and that was the, that was the finale. And so the next thing I know, it, it, they're breaking up, and I hear this guy start yelling. He jumps up on the table. And he grabs a Phoenix phone book and he starts to rip it apart. Well, it's Sparky. And he's ripping it apart and he's grinding. All the players start cheering and everything. And all of a sudden, he jumps off the table. He falls on the ground. And he's grabbing his right shoulder and he's ripping And we're all laughing. Look at this clown. Well, in, in about five five minutes of this, we realize he's in pain. And what he'd done is he'd, he'd knocked his shoulder out of socket. And the trainer had to put, put his shoulder back in socket, and we lost him for about three months. He couldn't pitch. So the motivation was was uh, over the top. Sparky <laughs> took it a little bit too far. And, uh, oh, if it hadn't been for me, he didn't win in baseball at not, all. Not only was that embellished about 50 times, <laughs> wasn't my pitching shoulder any, uh, you know, that was embellished by far. But the next day, Phil Garner and Sam B- Sal Bando call me into the office, and this is the, the honest truth. They're standing on top of me as I'm sitting in a chair, and they're screaming at me with spit flying everywhere because Gar has a chew in and he's smoking a stogie. And as they're spitting on me, I found it so absurd that I, I, I tried to do everything I could not to laugh 
so I started thinking about my dog dying. That's the honest truth. I don't know if I ever told you that. No, you did. So I wouldn't start laughing and get released on the spot. End up being the number six stupidest sports injuries of the 20th century. So well, you're welcome. It was well. You're, it was well worth the. It was well worth the laugh in in the end. But this is a true story. This is actually a true story, though. Uh, that was a true story too. It's not embellished. He's, he's kidding that a little bit. But uh, the other story when I, we first we brought Sparky to spring training, and no, nobody knew him. And we get down to the last uh, the cut, the last cut we're going to make. And we're down to a couple of players, and we're going to make a decision in a week. And you're sitting around the room, and this is, I think they got this uh, at, a, at a money ball. They got this scene and put it in money ball. They stole it from us because we're talking about Steve, and we're talking about another player on the team. And one of the coaches says, uh, after we're running over their traits, they said, have you seen his wife, Michelle? And uh, a couple of them say, no, we haven't. They said, well, you got to. She's drop-dead gorgeous, and, he, and she ought to make the team. And so <laughs> I happened to see her that day, uh, probably on purpose, and he made the team. Uh, it, it was mostly because of his wife. I really I really <laughs> didn't want her to know that. I didn't want her to be able to hang something over my head for the rest of my life. I appreciate that. So, so in Milwaukee, you coached there. That was your first chance at, at a manager's job after coaching for three years with the Astros under Art Howe. You got that job in 1992, and it was a really good team, a different pace for that team. You recognized the personnel, including Pat Listash and Daryl Hamilton and a lot of guys that had good speed and Molitor, but uh, it's a different style. You took the, the National League over to the American League with the Brewers, and it worked out well. Well, we had to. We didn't have power. Yeah. Uh, we, we, the reason I'd gotten the job is because the previous pitching staff had just broken down with injuries, and mm. Sal Bando wanted to bring somebody in that was – more uh we, we want to try to be more physically oriented and better shape and uh we we tried some different things and we actually played a little kind of crazy ball you mentioned pat listash the interesting story on that he was not our shortstop our shortstop was billy spires mm. and so we start the season off billy Spires is, is is our shortstop out of spring training and pat listash was a nice looking triple a player shortstop a triple a team but and played well in spring training. But Billy was going to make the team, and we wanted Pat to play every day. So we we had sent him to Colorado Springs, our Triple A team, and he was in the car on the way to Colorado Springs. And the day before the season starts, Billy Spires goes in the in the hospital and finds out he has to have back surgery. So he's done, and we had we call Pat Listash. We catch him some somewhere on the road. I don't know how they moved to Colorado was before yeah. cell phones, and they get a hold of him. And he turns around and comes back and uh, ends up uh, being the rookie of the year for us. But we uh, we um, we ran a lot. We did things that uh, was a little bit stupid uh, in terms of running, which had not been part of the American League baseball at that time. In other words, we we stole bases when we had five run leads. And Sparky Anderson, God bless him, was the uh, granddaddy of baseball in that league, and and he. Uh, they, we stole a couple of bases with five run leads in uh, Detroit one day, and Wasn't too his, happy. his coaches came out and they were unhappy about it. And I had a little meeting with Sparky the next day, and and, and it went like this, <laughs> you know, uh, Mr. Anderson, you're the you're the you're the man in baseball, and and look, I'm the new guy on the block, and I don't in no way intend to embarrass you, but I got to tell you something right now. I'm not going to go to my, sleep at night thinking that I'll let you get back in a ball game when you got four guys over there going to hit 20 home runs and I got nobody to get at 20 and you can get in back in the game with one swing. I got to play my game. 
And if you got to take do something about it, you do something about it. We'll do something about it. And that's just the way it's going to be. What did he say? Uh, and he shook his head. He wasn't happy about it. But about five days later, I was looking in the paper, and he lost the ball game with a five-run lead in the ninth inning. How about that? And he lost two of them in about a month in the last inning with with five-run leads. And I heard him, he later tell me, he said, not, maybe not such a bad idea to keep going when you got the lead. Hey, one story I love, uh, Chucky Carr. So we're we're in Anaheim. Chucky Carr is your leadoff hitter uh, somewhere in 1997. Yeah. So he's your leadoff hitter. And I think Chuck Finley was pitching for the Angels, and he was pitching a nice game, four-run lead for the Angels against your Brewers team. And Chucky, on a 2-0 count, Given the take sign by your third base coach, you take it from there. Well, uh, first Chuck, Chuck, Chuck was a, a, a nice player in his own right. Sure. He was he had a lot of speed, and he thought he was a home run hitter, but he was a leadoff <laughs> hitter that could run a little bit. But he had a big swing, you remember, and he yeah. wanted to try to jack the ball in the ballpark. And uh, Chuck Finley wore us out, as you remember. Wore a lot he had, of people he, out. Yeah, he had a, a split that we didn't hit him well at all. And we were down in the game, and Chuck, Chuck's leading off the ninth inning, two, two balls on him. And I had been watching him now for a while and knew he didn't want to take, so I had to put a take on. He, he wasn't understanding the concept of your run doesn't matter. We need to get three of you on before yeah. the guy can take a shot at it. So uh, I put the take on. Of course, Chuck, he looked at it and just, you know, sometimes, sometimes players miss signs. But I knew he didn't miss this sign. He just ignored it. So I called him in after the game. So he swung. Yeah, he, he popped swung up and to the third popped base. it up. Popped it up third base. You're yep. absolutely right. And I, I was less than happy about it. And, and <laughs> Chucky was oblivious to my being angry over there. So after the game, I called him in. And uh, he ended you, up. No, you got to say what Chucky said. said well, Chucky I don't called play him, that game. I, I, I Chucky has to and Yeah, I called him in and said, uh, you didn't see the uh, – you didn't see the uh, take sign. He says, Chucky don't take. <laughs> Chucky's swinging. I said, well, Chucky can swing his ass right down to third, right down to triple A. <laughs> so that's where he ended up. And you guys you know, released, him. You guys guy. released yeah, him a few days yeah, later. Yeah, that was his last yeah. at as a Milwaukee Brewer, which is the funny part. Yeah. Now, the kicker to that story was you guys come to Houston to play interleague game in September. And there was a sign out in left field, <laughs> out on one of the facades, out yeah. past the left field bleachers, yeah. and, what, and it said, "Chucky, <laughs> Chucky, Chucky hacks two and zero." Chucky hacks two and zero. I didn't know it, about it. That got you a little upset, right? It got me a little upset, and I was a little, little. Well, I, you know, it was it was kind of funny in a way, but then it was, you know, we weren't winning, you know. Right. So it's like we like we'd want to win, so it's kind of gnawing at me a little bit, you know, and so. I don't remember how how I found out about it, but it turns out it was my own son that did the sign. My, he had a sign out there. He was agitating me. So I really was a good dad. I don't know why yeah. he was upset with me, but, but they thought it was cute. So. Now, your kids, Eric, Bethany, and Ty, Ty. Uh, you grew up in the game. Obviously, you've been in the game forever. What was it like for them as a dad that was kind of a part-time guy? I mean, Carol did so much of the, the heavy lifting. What was that dynamic like? Well, I, I think uh, my oldest son probably resented a little bit. He, he, um, yeah, he kind of, he saw people kind of, you know, how people come up to you and want to take your time. And he kind of When you guys like, were out in public? Yeah, out in public. And I, th- I think he probably resented a little bit because he understood the dynamics. Those people really don't count to him. Mm-hmm. You know, all he wanted was his dad's time. So 
So I think he probably took exception. I think the other two kids probably embraced it a little bit and kind of just kind of went with the flow. Took advantage of it. Took, took, yeah, just kind of took advantage of it. But, <laughs> but uh, there were some good, great things about growing up around, you know, a couple of quick stories. We were in the Astrodome, the old Astrodome, and we're umpire calls time. You know, somebody's at the plate and they call time. And he's pointing out the center field, and we see a ball, you know, on the other side of the fence going back and forth like this. And it's it's Reed Ryan and my son Eric out there playing catch. <laughs> and the ball, they're throwing it to each, each other. Foul and, ball. Yeah, and it's going you know, back and forth, you know. And so it was in the batter's eyes, so they had to do it. And another quick story. A lot of people around here know who Dennis Laborio was, but he was the clubhouse guy in Houston for right. many, many years. And he was uh, – He's just a wonderful guy and a little bit of a curmudgeon. And, you know, he's he, a little so you always, crusty. You, you're crusty. You yeah. always wanted to get catch Dennis with something. And he was the, the best clubhouse on the planet. Now, let me set this up a little bit because you can play a game at, uh, at, and finish at 11 o'clock in, in uh, L.A. You fly all night long. You get to Houston. When they take your clothes and stuff off of the off of the airplane, those clubhouse kids and Dennis Laborio are in the clubhouse. They do the laundry, they clean your shoes, and they put everything in the locker. So that if you get to the clubhouse, if you go straight from the ballpark uh, or you go home, have a cup of coffee, and come right back to the ballpark at 7 a.m. after getting in at 3 a.m., your clothes and everything are hanging up in your locker. Yeah. And all these years, I never lost anything with Dennis. I've been with him for about four or five years. And I come in one Sunday morning. And my son's with me, and I'm lollygagging around, having a good time, fooling with everybody. And I walk in my locker, and about half my shoes are gone, and one of my gloves gone. I got Dennis Laborio, you know. So I start yelling, hey, Laborio, where's my stuff? What are you doing with my stuff? All these years in baseball, I've never lost a glove. I don't have a glove. And I'm screaming and making a big scene out of it. Just to rim him. Yeah, just to rim him. And he, he finally pulls me aside, and he lets me go on. He says, you better go check your boy and Nolan Ryan's boy. What are you talking about? He said, they're on the dock out of the back door selling your stuff. (laughs) But Reese Ryan, it was Reed Ryan, and uh, no, it was Reese Ryan, the younger, the younger son. And my son. They're hawking your stuff. Well, my son was pretty smart because my stuff wasn't very, very valuable, but but Nolan's was. And so he was kind of coattailing on Nolan's stuff. That's awesome. So I got out there with only one pair of shoes sold. I got my glove back. All right. You're listening to Phil Garner, former Astros player and manager, Lauren Blackwell, what do we got as far as a smaller season type type of package with the Astros? Yeah, well, of course, all season long, we're celebrating Jeff. Jeff Bagwell's election into the Hall of Fame. Uh, and, of course, in honor of number five, we have a five-game ticket package now available, which includes tickets to the Hall of Fame weekend in August and access to exclusive Bagwell-themed giveaways. So you can visit Astros.com slash mini plans for the Bagwell Hall of Fame five-pack. All right, back more with Scrap Iron Garter right after this. You're at Plucker's Wing Bar, brought to you by Carbock Brewing Company. You're listening to Astroline. We'll be right back. Bill Garner, riding a 23-game hitting streak, bats with Ott at first. And Scrap Iron strikes another key blow as the ball fools Ayali and left. A ground rule double. Ott stops at third. Garner at second. Bill Robinson gets out home with a sacrifice fly, and now the table is set. Omar Moreno sweet swings his seventh hit in the last four games. Garner scores as the seams unravel for Baltimore. Yes, indeed. 4 nothing Pittsburgh. A most impressive comeback, squaring the fall classic at three games apiece. A 3-1 deficit. 
Now, a one-game issue. That was a nail-biter right there, Gar. That was uh, that was 79. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was a lot of fun. I, it was uh, the most miserable playing conditions I've ever been in. It cold. was so cold and rainy and wet. We had, The first game was actually postponed, and they had, it's the first time I've ever seen it, but they put diesel fuel on the dirt, infield dirt in Baltimore and burned and had helicopters over it for about half a day trying to dry off the field. And it was cold. Oh, <laughs> man, was it cold. Well, you're listening to Asher Line. We're at Pluckers Wing Bar at 1400 North Shepherd. There's a couple of Pluckers. I'm not sure if you're aware of this, Gar. <laughs> but this was at 1400 North Shepherd. Okay. Of course, the other one over yeah. there. Yeah. There, uh, let city me center. ask you, um, when you do these things, all of them, have you been saying 1400 Shepherd for a long time now? Because yeah, I think I have. How did you text me the different address when i, I text you i i told you 1400 north shepherd and then i think i sent you the wrong address when i tried to pinpoint it for you making it easier so i didn't know uh carol wasn't with you i thought she'd be able to get you here on time well we're uh we're brought to you by carbot brewing company this is a great venue we've been here for quite a while we've got two more uh Segments uh, for Astroline coming up February 8th, uh, next Wednesday. Robert Ford will have that show, and then we'll finalize things before going to spring training with the Astros. Thursday, February 16th, I'll host that one, and then we take off for the five last episodes of Astroline after that. I want you to take a, a, a listen to a Game 7 highlight of that 1979 World Series with the We Are Family Pittsburgh Pirates. Gary Newdecker, back of the plate, calling the balls and strikes. Kelly hits it in the air to center field. Moreno going toward right center makes the catch. Pittsburgh wins it. And so this team with its remarkable comeback capacity throughout the entire regular season proved itself all over again, beating the Reds in the National League Championship playoff series and then coming from a 3-1 to deficit. And there is Willie Stodger, just VP, just named the most valuable player. How about that? I mean, unbelievable. First of all, that you guys went to Pittsburgh, tied one to one. You guys lost the first two games in Pittsburgh, down three to one yeah. in the World Series. Had to look pretty bleak at that point, but you guys were able to pull it out. Well, for some reason, none of us ever thought we were we're going to lose. Really? I, I don't know why. And you know, you say you say these things, and I think sometimes you don't really uh, you don't really mean it because you you know you get in a series and these guys are beating you up and you don't think you're going to win, but. Mm. But we've been doing that all year. We had come back a lot of times during the course of the season. So I, I, I think that um, that we just felt like we were invincible and we were just going to come back. And we had time, and so we certainly did. Who was the big uh, proponent of that mindset? Obviously, was it Willie Stargell who, well, who kind of brought the team well, together? Well, we, we had several leaders on the ball club. Willie Stargell certainly was the the pops as we affectionately called him he was old it was the last run in his career and he was playing great he had a great year of course he was was the the leader i mean he was a guy uh, like a bagwell that would come up to you and uh, and and make those comments that were so appropriate at just the right time mm-hmm. and uh, but but dave parker was a leader on the field and you know he was we had several guys with the kind of attitude that were never going to give up that you know, they just weren't you just weren't going to hold them down too long. They were gonna. They were somehow gonna find a way. Yeah, you got so, Bill Madlock, Tim Bill, Foley, Ed Ott. Yeah, and Foley wanted to fight in every game. So uh, you know, and Ed <laughs> Ott, he and still Ed does. Ott, and Ed Ott could fight in every game. Heck yeah. And, you know, but uh, and Matt Madlock was didn't want to fight, didn't like fighting, but he was a very good player, and he was a 
really terrific hitter. And, and believe it or not, people might remember Bill Madlock. He was sort of a roly-poly kind of guy, but he was fast. He could really run. Huh. And I asked him one day why he didn't steal 40 bases, because I knew he could. And he said, because they'll expect it next year, and I don't want to run that much. <laughs> That's great. Well, not not to be overlooked was your contribution in the World Series. You hit 512 for 24, including four doubles in that World Series, Phil, but uh, that had to be very satisfying, being able to be a big contributor for a, a World Series champion. Well, I mean, in all fairness, I was the reason we won the World Series, so <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> Chuck, Chuck Tanner, I mean, he was your manager. Well, you had him uh, when you first came up with the Oakland A's. He went over to Pittsburgh, and you went over there, and he became almost like a dad for you, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, he, uh, uh, he was definitely a mentor for me on both sides of the equation as a player, and and as a as a manager also, but um, you know when I look back at on it years later, I know why Chuck liked me because when he'd have a meeting when the team was playing bad, he'd chew me out in front of all the players. You could take it, and I could take it. And and he once he t- later after years he told me that. And so is that why you, you did know, that to me? Yeah, that's why. <laughs> so I learned that from Chuck too. You know, you pick on one guy that can handle it. So. You know, he'd single me out on, he didn't do that very often, but every now and then, you know, he, he would say something like that. But he was, uh, he, we, he lost his mother during the, the World Series. Uh, I think it was after game two. That World two. Series? That World really? Series. After game two, his mother passed away. Oh my gosh. And, um, he called the team meeting and, you know, he was sad. She'd been sick for a while and, and he said, look, my mom would, would, he, she, she would absolutely be mad as all get out if I didn't finish this World Series, if we didn't play this thing and win. And so, you know, that could have very well been a good inspiration. And, you know, it was, a, it was a sad time for Chuck, but he wouldn't let it get in the way. Didn't know that. Here's, here's one thing a lot of people don't know. There's been 23 times in Major League Baseball here, history that a player has gone back-to-back games with a grand slam. And I'm sure you've heard that trivia question. You're in that group, but it's a pretty incre- impressive group. We, Babe Ruth did it twice, which is pretty crazy, but Jimmy Fox... Read a few of these. Bill Dickey, who was a Hall of Fame yeah. catcher. Uh, Ken Griffey Jr., Hall of Fame. Mike Piazza, of course. McGriff, Sosa, Robin Ventura, Carlos Beltran, Brooks Robinson. And Phil Garner's right in that group. You know who else is in that? David Eckstein. <laughs> no. Is that crazy? Oh, no, that is crazy. I would have yeah. never picked him. But, but tell uh, me about that. I mean, yeah. it was Bob Force well, and Woody Fryman back to back day, St. Louis and Montreal. Yeah, it was, uh, but it was in Pittsburgh. We did it, we were playing in Pittsburgh. Uh huh. And, uh, the, uh, there's there's two things interesting about it. I, the, when I did it, I didn't even nobody, I didn't even think about it, and it was the first time it had been done in 80 years in the in the National League. But the other thing you don't think about, you don't come up with the bases loaded that often back to back. Yeah. And I actually came up with the bases loaded three times in a row. And the third time I hit a ball off the top of the wall. You're I, it kidding. Did, I, it didn't go out. You almost had three. Right, I almost had three. Three and two I don't, games. Yeah, and I don't know. Three, three consecutive, three days. consecutive games, wow. and so, uh, but you don't get the opportunity very often. And as it turns out, Carol and my wife in those days came to all the ball games, but uh, she missed that game the first night. And and th- I have this documented because there was a scout having lunch with us the next day. Yeah. And when we were leaving my house to go to the ballpark, Carol said. Uh, she said, well, I'm going to come to the game tonight. And I said, well, get there early because I'm going to hit another grand slam. And it was the first at bat, and she was, she was there, so Absolutely. I hit a grand slam. Did you look up so, at her when you were yeah. across the home plate? Yeah, I was. I waited a little That's bit right, there. honey. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, speaking of Carol. I'm calling my shots now, honey. Yeah. yeah. I remember an occasion in 1996 in Milwaukee. It was April 11th. Does April 11th ring a bell for you? 
Uh, well, yeah, that's my wedding anniversary. Okay, so 1996 <laughs> was your 25th anniversary. Yeah, that's and right. And we just gotten beat to the Oakland A's 11 to nothing. I really didn't care because I didn't pitch. <laughs> but, but it was your 25th anniversary. Yeah. Somebody wheels in something into the clubhouse after the game. Uh, take it from there. Well, uh, we, you know, of course, you're in Milwaukee, the, the home of Harley Davidson, and I'd always wanted a motorcycle. As a matter of fact, you got to know a little part more of the story. When I was down here in Houston, my, I lived, I was at School University of Tennessee, and my, uh, my mom and dad had moved down here while I was in college that first year. So I had come home for the Christmas holidays and then worked at Oshman Sporting Goods that Christmas. And my brother, who's really kind of a, oh, he's, he's a hippie gay, he was one of the original hippies and could just about come up with anything. I, I had tasked him with coming up with a motorcycle for me. I, I wanted a motorcycle. And so he did. Now, I didn't ask him where he got it, but, boy, he, he came up with a motorcycle. <laughs> and I had bought a bunch of clothes, and I was going to drive it from Houston to back to school, back to Tennessee. What kind of motorcycle it? was, was it? a Honda 350. It yeah. was a cool-looking bike, boy, yeah. and I'll tell you. And uh, so my dad had been telling me for a couple of days, son, don't drive that thing back. You're going to have a chance maybe to play professional ball. Don't ride a motorcycle. So the night before I'm, I'm ready to go, he comes in. He said, son. Uh, do me a deal. And I said, what kind of deal? I like deals, you know. And he says, if it snows in the morning, you won't ride that motorcycle to uh, to Tennessee. And I'm thinking, we had snowed in Houston in 100 years, so I'll take that deal. So uh, that'll make him happy. So I took the deal. I woke up the next morning with two inches of snow on the ground, and I never got on a motorcycle until that time again. And I, I thought, well, maybe I wasn't supposed to, but I always wanted one. So my wife did a nice job. She fooled me. She uh, really tricked me. And uh, had a really nice custom uh, Harley made. A lot of chrome. Yeah, a lot of chrome and had scrap iron on the tanks. You still have it? Really fixed out. No, I didn't. We, uh, I bought her one after that, and we rode for a while, and and she hit the ground, and we decided it might be a better idea not to. We're going to we're going to fish now instead of ride motorcycles. So turn, as soon as you turned 75, you decided <laughs> to get rid of them. Very nice. We, probably she, we couldn't ride together anymore. She didn't want to ride them anymore, so. Uh, we decided not to. Anyway. Bad example for the grandkids. Yeah, bad example. There you go. That's Phil Garner. we got one more segment with Scrap Iron. We'll talk a little bit about that uh, nickname. It's been one for the ages. This is Steve Sparks. You're listening to Ashline. Pluckers Wing Bar, 1400 North Shepherd Gar. Brought to you by Carbot Brewing Company. Be right back. Yeah. It's the name, they know who's winning the game. It's the Astros' main. Here's the 0-2. Struck him out. Game is over. This is saved yet another one. Look at the Astros run out of that dugout. Here comes the bullpen. What's left of it? Oh, my goodness. The celebration has begun at Minute Maid Park. Playoff. Here we come. Dominates to close it out, and what a fitting way for this Astros club to head to postseason. And everybody's still here. Lynch with his strikeout, struck out four to end it. Woo! There you go, Milo Hamilton, the Hall of Famer, right there. Yeah. Steve Sparks here on Astroline. We're at Plucker's Wing Bar, brought to you by Carbot Brewing Company. I'm here with a special guest, Phil Garner. Our last segment's going by quickly since he showed up 27 minutes late. But uh, <laughs> special year 2004, being able to guide this team. And, and of course, Alan Ashby and Milo uh, talking about that right there, man. You guys get into the postseason after such a dismal start. That was pretty cool. 
Well, it, it was. Of course, I didn't come in until halfway through the season. Right. But there were a couple of interesting things about that season. I, you know, um, when you look back at 05, we go to the World Series, and you say, how did we do that? Because the 04 team was a really, really good team, and mm-hmm. we should have gotten to the World Series and boiled down to we, we just couldn't get out of that last game in St. Louis. But, uh, and it was hurt. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, but in and, and, and no, go back to the, the season, when I took it over, we were about 44 and 44, I think. And, two uh, games under. We were two games under. At okay. the All-Star break. All right. And uh, so... I thought I. You look at the ball club, and and the way I had remembered it, um, uh, they had let go of uh, um, uh, with Jimmy the, Williams. No, no, Jimmy. Yeah, the, Jimmy Williams, but the closer, uh, and they thought Dotel could oh, close. Oh, Dotel. But no, they thought Dotel could close. They let go of uh, Wagner. Okay. Uh, not. Uh, yeah. So you had yeah. Ledge and Wheeler. And so, and well, no, we didn't. We didn't have those guys. They were they were on the team, but it was all jumbled around. And so what happened with Jimmy? He thought Dotel was going to close because he'd been a terrific number eight guy. Okay. He, was, he was a shutdown number eight guy, what you'd love to have. But as, as people find out, you know, and this is where you run across the numbers guys, they say, you know, uh, well, anybody can close out a ball game. You use crazy? a lot of time, and, and you can't. And this is what happened. This is why Jimmy lost, the, lost his job because he thought Dotel could close. Well, he didn't. He couldn't. And, and the team was in disarray. And so when I came in, I was watching that. I had the advantage of seeing what had happened. So, you know, Lidge had had, had, had good stuff, but he'd been inconsistent, and he'd been a little bit injured through the minor league system. So out of desperation, really, we'd kind of been fooling with the back end of the bullpen. And so I'd put Lidge in the back end of the bullpen, and we were trying to figure out in the middle what we were going to do. And along the way, um, Jerry Hunsinger called up uh, Qualls, and Qualls sort of evolved as our seventh inning guy, and um, and we were we were starting we played a little bit better, but we weren't playing great. And um, as it as it turned out, after about two months, it was six weeks actually, we went to Chicago. Pettit was in pain; he was trying to pitch. And God bless him. Here's a you know he's a he's a true competitor. He's a, warrior, he's yeah. a true competitor. He's throwing a ball 80 miles an hour and still getting us five innings. And I, and then, you know and his arms killing him. So. Um, I have lunch with Jerry that day and say, Jerry, uh, you know, if, if it were my money, if I were on this team, I'd, I'd, I'd just blow up the team. I'd go ahead and start all over again. <laughs> and uh, and it's a true story. It's exactly why I said it. And Jerry, Jerry listened to me talk. And I said, you know, I thought by now I might have had an impact on the ball club. We might have improved. And, I, and it's not getting anywhere with it. And uh, so I was honest with him. I said, you know, you can fire me and try something else. I mean, you know, uh, what are we going to do? And he listened to all that. And he said, no. Nope. I promise these guys every chance in the world, and I'm going to stick with them. Cool. So that was the marching orders. You were just orders. an interim. Manager. I was an interim manager, and yep. so um, you know, so we go with that game in Philadelphia that night. We're down uh, two runs in the fifth inning. It might have been the sixth inning, and and Clemens is pitching. He comes up with the bases loaded. This is another uh, managerial sign. The count goes to three one. And I put a take on. And Clemens never looks down at third base because he knows I'm going to put a take on. <laughs> so never looks down. And he rifles the next pitch down the right field line, clears the bases, and we go on that 31-10 run. 36 and 10. 36 and 10 yeah. run. And, uh, you know, so what, the rocket, what, what do I know? The rocket. The bases. He, and so that's when you get out of the way of the good players. Let them play. Don't, don't mess with them. But, you know, so we, we're, we don't have Pettit. Lidge starts, you know, it starts to go up, and we and uh, Jerry picked up another 
guy out of nowhere, um, Dan Wheeler, uh, that yeah. was on Nobody's Deal. And I didn't. We're playing in Chicago, and many of these people might remember uh, Barrett, the catcher. We'd gotten in Michael this, Barrett. Yeah, gotten in this tussle with uh, Chicago, and Oswald had hit Barrett, and Barrett thought it was on purpose, and it wasn't. And Barrett was a hothead anyway. So we go to Chicago. We know we're going to have a little rumble. We've traded for Wheeler. He gets there late. I never had a chance to meet him. He's out in the bullpen, and Oswald's starting the game, and uh, they nail Oswald the first at bat, hit him in the thigh. And to Roy's credit, he drops his bat, walks to first base, and doesn't do a thing. They hit somebody else along the game, and then they bring in Mercer, who's throwing about 88 or about 98 miles an hour in those days, and Mercer zips one over Bagwell's head. And he hit somebody else. And now, now I'm I'm upset. Mm-hmm. You know, it should have been over with and done with, as we all know. So <laughs> we get the lead. We get a one-run lead, and, and we need Dan Wheeler. So I call, I call out the bullpen and said, uh, get Mr. Wheeler in here. And uh, so he walks in, and I walk out. And I say, hello, Mr. Wheeler. I'm Phil Garner. You introduce nice yourself to meet on you. the mound. On the mound. That's a true story. Yeah. And I said, get two quick outs and hit the next guy right in the back. <laughs> and... Uh, and so he gets two pitches, gets two outs, and it's uh, big, big league. Uh, the first baseman, about six foot seven. Oh, yeah, you remember Derek Lee? Derek Lee. Yep. Big league, and he nails him right in the back. And that? boy, did we love it! And it made him, and it made our team. And so, we go on to win. <laughs> That's awesome. I thought it was pretty good. Welcome to the team. Hit somebody. Heck you know? yeah! So, uh, All right, Lauren Blackwell. We just heard uh, from Milo Hamilton on that call, and this is pretty uh, apropos right here. Lauren, what do you have? You know, everyone knows your nickname, Scrap Iron. Where did that come from? And uh, he mentioned Milo. Did he have anything to do with yeah, that? Yeah, Milo did. Uh, I had been traded from uh, the Oakland A's to Pittsburgh. And what what we did in those days, Pittsburgh would go down in uh, Puerto Rico and play uh, exhibition games, mm-hmm. a couple exhibition games spring training to benefit the uh, uh, Roberto Clemente Foundation. And so I had been traded. Spent one day in pitch in in Bradenton, our spring training camp, and then we went to that trip down there. So he had Willie Sarge on the radio, and he was talking about, well, what about the trade? And so um, uh, there's two stories to this. I'll tell you. I'll tell you one of them. And so um, Willie Sarge will kind of describe me as a tough guy. Well, he said he was a tough little feller. And he's talking can, to Milo. Yeah, he's talking to Milo on the radio, and he said uh, you can bend him and break him. It looks like you, you you know he's like an old piece of scrap metal. You can't can't uh, hurt him too bad, you know. And Milo, Milo started calling me Scrap Iron after that, so he did. So um, that kind of stuck with me, and Milo made it. So uh, Could have been worse. Liked it. Could have well, been worse. Well, Dave Parker's uh, version was is that every time a ball hit my glove, it sounded like it was hitting a tin can. <laughs> and I like Milo's version better. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, Danny Ferris, you got something on, on Twitter and actually has something to do with this spring training. Absolutely. We're uh, two weeks out from pitchers and catchers reporting. What's going to be your involvement with the Astros this spring? Uh, I'm going to play golf with um, A.J. uh, Friday and tell him what to do. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely not. Uh, uh, I'm going to go to spring training for a a few days. And um, probably up in the air right now, whatever A.J. would like for me to do, uh, I'll do, which is, you know, I've been on this other side of the fence. You don't want somebody coming in. The coaching staff is very good. They don't need anybody coming in and, and sort of, you know, disrupting things. Disrupting things. things. Yeah. And, the, and the first thing you don't want, you don't want two people telling one guy a, two different things. That, that is a death sentence for, you know, for in-game. In so if, you have, if, you, if, 
you don't want to go in a hitter. You got a hitting coach that's working with him, and then somebody else comes in and says, "Well, won't you do this or this?" That that confuses the player, and it goes down to everything. So, so whatever uh, AJ wants me to do, however, I can mesh with the coaching staff and sort of blend with what they want to do. And if there's something I can add, I'm glad to do it. But I certainly don't want it getting anybody's way because it's more important to not be disruptive than it is you know that can be more harm than good so i want to be careful about that and one of our fans donna hopkins had a question lauren did you have the question uh that donna had because gar actually knows uh, a couple of these guys with the astros team yeah when you're down at spring training you'll get to see josh reddick again which we all understand you have a little special relationship with well he's a he's a good guy we, the astro fans are going to really like him he's a the background he, is you well, work with the well the i was with the oakland a's yep. a few years ago bob melvin the manager of the oakland a's was my right hand guy for about five years and and bob had asked me when he got the oakland job to come out and take a look at him at the team and uh, sort of trying to help him evaluate a few things and so the about the second morning I'm in spring training, I get to the ballpark at about uh, 7.30, between 7.30 and 8 o'clock, and I'm walking in, and this guy pulls up, and he's got his car all hopped up. He's got I, mufflers hanging out the bottom. This is a muscle car, He's got right? muscle car. He's got muffler hanging out of the bottom of it and all this, and the guy gets out. Now it's, it's quarter to 8, 8 o'clock in the morning, and he's got these big old thick racing car sunglasses on. he got a cigarette hanging out of his mouth, and he gives me the peace sign. Who is this, Fonzie? And, yeah. I'm going, who is this guy? What is Josh Reddick? And he's he's an absolute beautiful guy. He's a good player. Hard nose. He, yeah, he's a hard nose. Uh, he's he's, he's going to be a fun guy. The Astros are going to love it. They're going to love it. You've been watching the Astros the last few years, and, and I know you've forged a special relationship with A.J. Hinch, and, and you kind of reached out to him early on about coming when he came to Houston. And uh, tell us a, real quickly about that relationship you have with A.J. Well, well, I, you know, uh, anytime you come into the city, there's certain little nuances you'd like to know. But what are the politics with the with the uh, press? You know, what yeah. about the city itself? Is it a good baseball town? How are people going to respond to you? Just those kind of things. So um, I had reached out to him and said, if there's anything I can help, I'd be glad to do it. And and to be honest with you, many people don't take that. So yeah. AJ AJ uh, reached back to me, and uh, and I think we've got a pretty good relationship. I'm I'm uh, interested in helping and not getting anybody's way. So uh, AJ is uh, very confident in what he's doing, and I think he's very good at what he's doing, by the way. And uh, so if I can help him out in any way, I'm glad to do it. Well, it's going to be a lot of fun. Get yeah. things going in about three weeks in spring training, West Palm Beach, Florida. It's going to be a brand-new stadium. It's going to be a lot of fun to have you there, and it was a lot of fun to have you here. So thanks for joining us today. <laughs> okay. I mean, my manager in two stops, like my baseball dad, I really appreciate you coming okay, on. Okay, all right, you bet. All right, listen to Ashland Line next week. It's going to be Wednesday, February 8th. Uh, same place uh, right here at Fluckers Wing Bar, 1400 North Shepherd. want to thank producer-engineer Matt Boltz, our studio engineer Bob Elliott, of course, Lauren Blackwell, and Danny Ferris for helping out with the questions and uh, taking care of a lot of these people. Go to gsfyb.com. That's grandslamforyouthbaseball.com to get an opportunity for Minute Maid to uh, get a chance maybe to win a scholarship to new baseball. It's going to be a great year. Got to thank all you folks for coming here to Plucker's Wing Bar. Having a lot of fun out here. We'll catch you next time right here Wednesday, next February 5th. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. 
I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 